The challenge always is to keep our faith looking up to God. We know that's the answer. We know that's where the help comes from. We know that's where the encouragement comes from. And yet, it's this world that we live in that catches our eye from time to time and causes us to take our eyes off of the Lord above and at times look at the world in which we dwell. The scripture underneath the psalm, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer of our faith. Some translation has the author of our faith. Fix our eyes on him. Be willing to do the things that he would have us to do. In Luke's account of the Gospels, in chapter 9, Starting at verse 18, there's an interesting discussion that takes place that sets the tone for what we want to look at this evening. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say one of the old prophets had risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his own glory, and his fathers, and the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Last verse is an interesting for those who still believe the kingdom of God has not been established on this earth and is still yet to be established at some date in the future. And I'm not sure what they always do with that verse, but they have to do something with it. Some of you standing here will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come. They usually simply say, well, when he comes, there'll be some standing on earth that will see him come. That's not what he's saying right there. But it gives some thought in this reading that allows us or needs us to begin to check and the life that we live. Luke has spent several chapters 
explaining who Jesus is. And we're approaching a pivotal point in this gospel where Luke begins to change from explaining who Jesus is to explain who his followers are. We'll see some information about Jesus, then describing who he is, but his followers, who are they? But who is this Jesus? It's an interesting question then, and it has continued on down into our day as well, the various answers that man can give. And I've always found it interesting that as you hear what men have to say about who Jesus is, their information is incorrect or not full. And they've missed something along the way. It was true then and it's true today. You hear him say that he's a good man. You could hear him say that he was a prophet. He was a good moral teacher and a host of other things. But for him being the son of the living God who came in the flesh and dwelt on this earth, and who would give his life as an atonement for the sins of mankind, raise again that third day and then ascend back to the Father, there to make intercession on behalf of those who would follow, is not something many want to accept along the way. And it's interesting as you read there in verse 18 of Luke 9, And it happened as he was alone praying. One of those characteristics that you will find about the Son of God. He would spend at times all night in prayer to his Father above. You go back to chapter 5 of Luke and down to verse 16. It will say that he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Often. And it's that thought that comes down. If the Son of God, who knew the Father's will, whose meat was to do the Father's will, knowing what that involved, as he will explain to his disciples here, if he felt it necessary to often withdraw and spend time in prayer to God, should that not be a characteristic of us, of our life? How much more do we need that time in petitioning God, but of also listening to the Father's will? through his word, of what it is that he would have us to do within our life. John the Baptist, that had come up before as well. He's John the Baptist, risen from the dead. It's interesting that they will acknowledge facts, but not acknowledge the one who's responsible for those facts. 
Where would they get an idea of a resurrection from the dead? And why would they believe it would be John the Baptist who would be risen from the dead? Or maybe he was Elijah. Well, there we have a prophecy that Elijah would return for the coming of the Son of Man. So they were expecting a Elijah, but missed how it would be applied. Or just simply one of the prophets who had been raised from the dead. You think about that one for a while. It had been over 400 years that they had not had a prophet among the people. 400 years from the last of the prophets until the beginning of the first century. And they would believe, as opposed to believing God down in the flesh, they would propose to believe that a man who had been dead for 400 plus years would be risen from the dead. As you read other passages in scriptures, particularly in Acts 5, for example, when a person died, or the resurrection of Lazarus, when a person dies, they were very quick to bury the individual before they begin to decompose. Lazarus was dead for four days, and they said he, his body already begins to stink. And yet they would believe an old prophet, rather than accepting the message that Jesus is bringing. And again today, how many will come up with false ideas, strange concepts of what they think God is going to do as opposed to believing what God has said within his word. The crowd did not fully understand who Jesus was. But then Luke changes the tone and asks a second question. Jesus asking his disciples, but who do you say that I am? It does not matter what the world has to say. It doesn't matter what other religious bodies or other religious people have to say about this Jesus. But what do you think? What do you believe? Who is this Jesus? That's what makes the difference. The world will have their opinions, and again, the world can be, will be wrong in their opinions as to who, they, who he is. Unless they come to that knowledge that can be found only within the pages of God's word. That he is the Christ, the Son of God. That he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. Sometimes you hear people talk about Jesus Christ and you think that's his first name and his last name. And that's not who he is. But even his name, it's interesting for what his name means. Out of Matthew 1, about verse 21 down in there. When you understand what his, the name Jesus means, for people not to understand their response to that. He shall save his people, what? 
from their sins. What does that mean? That means we're sinners that need a Savior. Well, who are the sinners? Well, Paul would go on to tell you in Romans 3 and verse 23, for all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then over in chapter 6 of Romans and verse 23 again, the wages of sin is death and all has sinned. And Jesus came to save his people from their sins. But what is going to be involved in saving the people from their sins? What's going to have to take place? He's going to tell them, but they're not ready for that. They're not prepared for that. They understand a Messiah. They wrestle with the thought of a king coming. But as Jesus is describing that, what he is describing is nothing that they had ever anticipated or thought about in their life. Verse 22 of the reading. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He's not the Messiah that they were looking for that would redeem them or deliver them from Roman captivity, if you will, Roman suppression. He would not be the king who would come and reestablish an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem and reign there over the world. Listen to people as they, in the religious world, almost without exception, the religious world that claims some association with Christianity want to say that there will be an earthly kingdom on this earth, some form, shape, or fashion, at some time before the thousand-year reign, after the thousand-year reign, or whatever else that they want to look with. But they're looking for an earthly kingdom. And listen to them trying to explain Some of you standing here will not see death until that takes place. They have trouble with that one. Working with that and trying to work that in. They know the prophecy in Daniel 2.44 that in the days of these kings, the Lord will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. They understand basically because Daniel names three out of the four kingdoms so they can guess the fourth kingdom would be the Roman Empire. That in the days of these kings, God will establish a kingdom. Well, they know full well today that the Roman Empire is long gone. But that has to be in the days of these kings, so they have to reinvent the Roman Empire. It's the only way that they can figure out how to get it to work out to their way of thinking. So they use the European common market for a while. And it was fine when the European common market was being established. This is the Roman Empire again being reestablished. And there will be ten kings, ten countries. Well, it went from there on up beyond that. And so they simply said, well, only the first ten count. That's sufficient. The others can be added, but they don't count in this picture 
of the Roman Empire being reestablished so that the Lord could establish his kingdom on this earth. As we read, we need to be careful. We can look at that. We can point out its fallacies. That is not consistent with the scriptures. But there's some other things that Luke's account is bringing out that we need to give attention to in the life that we live as well. Verse 23. And then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke is the only one that has put the word daily in there, which is an indication that that's what we need to do. It need to be done on a daily basis because we tend to forgive. But if anyone will come after me, he has to deny himself. That's where we struggle at times. We work, have to work at that in our lives of denying self. As we sang in the song. All of self and none of thee or none of self and all of thee. Where do you fit in there? And how many times do we struggle with that? We can start from those that are outside of Christ where it's all of self and none of thee and then kind of move through. But as we move through, less of self, more of, and then more of thee, do we get bogged down in those second and third verses before we really get to that fourth verse to where we really learn to deny self completely? Let him deny himself and take up the cross daily. And I've heard individuals say, well, they've got a heavy cross to bear in in their life. They've got sick parents or they've got health problems and a host of other things. That's not the cross that one is called to bear. Closest we might get to that is, let him take up the electric chair every day and follow me. What's the purpose of the electric chair? What's the purpose of the cross? It was, the purpose was to put one to death. That was the sole purpose, is to put one to death. Wasn't any other purpose for it. We, because of the cross of Jesus, we, because of what he achieved when he was on the cross and after he died, we, because of that, have, in essence, glorified the cross. It's a means of death. And Luke says you have to do that every day you live. Because I would dare say without exception, every day that you get up, you look in the mirror and what do you see? You see yourself. And it's learning to deny that, that I'm a child of the living God. Looking at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. 
It's a new life. It's a new mindset. Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about that. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude. You look at Philippians 2 and verse 5 and following. Have this mind in you that was in Christ. Who did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but was willing to empty himself. Have that attitude in you. And it's hard. You have to fight it every single day. I don't know about you, but when I wake up tomorrow morning, I have a feeling my stomach is going to say it's time to be fed. We want to eat. We want to take care of ourselves. We've been talking about the lovely weather we've been having lately. How consistent it is of being very inconsistent. You're cold, you're hot. You don't know which way to go, don't know how to dress. We want to be comfortable. We're to deny self. Crucify self. To take up that cross. And then to follow him. The reason being as brought out in the next verses. Whoever wishes, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's two lives. Two lives. One of them has to die. And it's your choice. But one of them has to die. There's no getting around it. It's looking at the result of either death that you have to weigh, that you have to consider. If I deny him and live the physical life, I'm going to die physically. And I'm going to face a judgment. But if I can recognize, and we know it, but we again let it pass through our mind and out the other side oftentimes, outside the Lord coming again, and even when he does, there's not a one of us getting out of this world physically alive. Simply not going to happen. Not a one of us is going to physically get out of this world alive. If we're alive when it comes, we're going to be transformed and we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And so why do we fight against this concept denying the physical life? Because if I choose to deny the physical life and live the, the spiritual life, then I will live eternally with God. Eternity is there regardless if we choose to follow God or not. Eternity is there. But we can live eternally with him if we choose to deny ourselves here. And the battle is there. Peter reminds us of the fact of those who were scoffing at the fact that the Lord hadn't returned yet. Peter says, you need to regard that to be salvation. God granting you opportunity in which to change. And each one of us that is a child of God can thank God that he had not returned 
before the date that you were baptized into Christ. But does that not need to be said of others as well? How many are out there that need to hear that and make that change before they face that physical death? Peter says that's the salvation or the patience of our God to be salvation. He grants us time to change. As we live our life, as we wrestle with this concept that Luke is talking about, denying yourself daily, how many times do we sometimes forget that? It's easy to get caught up in the affairs of life. They're there. Decisions have to be made. Decisions have to be reached. We have to live in that essence to a degree. But do we sometimes forget the spiritual application that is being brought out of who it is that we need to do? And why is that important? Again, he'll bring out in the next couple of verses. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself destroyed or lost? It's often been said, you see enough funerals, they have one here tomorrow. I seriously doubt when that hearse pulls out of in front that you're going to see a U-Haul trailer behind it. You do not take anything with you. What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And you're destroyed eternally. Is it worth it? There have been so many individuals as they've been recounting their lives, if you will, those who have done very well successfully in the business world, risen to the top, and they've been asked the question, was it worth it? And many of them have said, no, it was not worth it. I lost my family. I lost a lot of things along the way. It wasn't worth it. But at the time, it was important to climb the ladder. But is it worth it? You're going to leave it behind. A little bit later in Luke, in chapter 12, he's going to talk about the, the farmer. And before he begins that, Jesus said, man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. That's not life. And the farmer who thought he had it made. You read the first part of that parable in uh, verse 15 and following. And again, I've said, to me, as I read it, it sounds like the American dream, does it not? I've done well. I've prospered. I have plenty. I've got more than I really need, but I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns so I can have that. And what do people want to do? I lived in this house all my life. I raised my family here and I've, made it, I've got it made. Now what do I want to do? I want a bigger house. For what? And then I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy life. Sounds like the American dream. Except for the next statement. God says, you fool. 
Tonight your soul is required of you. Then whose shall these things be? And then for that part of it, we need to go back and read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is interesting to read. Solomon back there says, you know, when you die, you're going to leave your stuff. You can be screwed all your life. You can be wise and scrimp and save and accumulate. And then you die and you leave it to someone else. And Solomon said, and who knows whether he's going to be wise or not. You're going to, you're going to leave it to somebody. It took you 65 years to get it all. You're going to leave it to somebody and they're going to have it spent in less than five years. It's gone. Is that wise? What's this all for? Solomon has that answer, does he not? If you're living for this world only, what is it? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's not going to work. What would you gain if you destroy yourself and lose your soul? And whoever's ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of that person in that last day. That's a hard saying to look at as well. If I deny Jesus here, he will deny me before the Father who is in heaven. And we're talking about eternity. Eternally lost because I put something in this life in front of serving God. And it's that question again, is it worth it? Luke is trying to encourage us, as do the other gospel writers, as do the other writers of the New Testament, as well as the old. Think about your decisions. Consider them seriously. often been said what you make exceptions to often determine who whose voice you're listening to I do this most of the time but occasionally I'll do something else whose voice are you listening to well it really doesn't make that much difference whose voice are you listening to Jesus said that a man deny himself, take up his cross daily, and let him follow me. Satan says, most of the time it's okay. But you know, you've got to live here, so you've got you to bend the rules a little bit. Really? Whose voice do we listen to? Commitment needs to be a high priority in our life. Commitment to God. Want to serve Him above all else in this world. But that decision has to be mine. And it has to be yours. The song. 